Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for joining in with us. Now, whatever's happened to you along your life, it's not really who you are. Take today's guest, for example. He grew up a scrawny kid in the Pacific Northwest wilderness, God's country, living with nature. Back then, you wouldn't have known him from anyone else. And through his self-realization, he learned how to free himself. Now wait, you think you've heard that before? Just give me one minute. We're going to talk about the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about a PETA investigation that recently led to the rescue of 4,000 beagles bred for experiments. I'm an animal lover, and this is very important to me, so please stay tuned for that later in this episode. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to get you very successful. We want to help you grow your business to a high, sustainable level. Well, meet Chris Duffin, once homeless, today a co-founder of Kabuki Strength and one of the strongest men in the world. He speaks about strength and human movement. He's a world record holder for deadlifting a thousand pounds. Yeah, a thousand. I think that says enough. Let's get into it. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hey, Tony. Looking forward to talking today. Chris, we're all looking forward to helping our business grow through the entrepreneurial spirit. I've got so many questions, but the first thing that like caught my attention is like, once homeless, how did it all happen for you? Well, it's not really a once. It was, you know, by the time I graduated high school, half my life had probably been homeless. So growing up, you know, my, my parents just wanted to create a life, you know, outside of normal society. And this was in Northern California. And we ended up, you know, six years old. I'm living in a tree fort in a wilderness. You know, we got beams lashed up into the trees, right? And there's rattlesnake dens all around. So, you know, what do you, what do you do? You teach your six-year-old how to fend for themselves. So I'm being taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes because that's the environment that, uh, that we lived in, you know, no vehicles. And the, the thing people may not realize, it's like, oh, you could go, oh, that'd be great to, to live that lifestyle. But when you're, you know, out there, a lot of people may not realize that it is the other characters that you may run into might not be out there for altruistic reasons. So you know, over the course of my life, which this is actually covered in uh, my best-selling uh, memoir, The Eagle and the Dragon, ran into and dealt with some pretty <laughs> difficult things. So I dealt with murderers, a serial killer, human trafficking. I mean, just some basically nearly every type of trauma at some point or another. And got taken by the state for a while, ended up getting back with uh, my parents in uh, Central Oregon and kind of stabilized a little bit around high school. Had a, at least a mobile home to live in and it had running water. It had electricity, didn't have a kitchen or doors or things like that. So we threw up some sheets and threw up some two by fours to uh, hold up a sink. But that was finally like a little bit of stability. You know, I was still dealing with a lot of drug and alcohol abuse in the home. And that was, you know, if you looked at me at that time, 
or looked at our family, you would think that I'm going nowhere. You know, I'm going to end up on drugs, in prison, dead, or maybe still living in the wilderness. And that's honestly a lot of the people that I grew up with. That's where they ended up being. And my viewpoint was a little different. I believed, and actually, this is, I had this done at 18 years old. I started at this tattoo, the eagle. And it covers my, my chest, my stomach, my back, goes all the way down to my legs. And so, which is the first half of the book, the eagle. Uh, there's a shackle around my ankle and this chain wraps up around my body and it's holding two eagles that are really trying to escape and take flight. And that was, that was my view at that point in the world was that you could fly to whatever heights that you wanted. The only thing holding yourself back is you, you're yourself. And, you know, unleashing yourself from that can allow you to find your strengths and your abilities. And so I ended up getting a full ride academic scholarship to go to college, to school for a dual engineering degree. Was also a state level athlete uh, as well, but uh, chose to go to a school that didn't have uh, athletics because it was the best uh, for the academic uh, scholarship for me. And pretty quickly, I ended up actually taking custody of my three younger sisters because things at home got even worse after I left. So by the time I was a junior in college, I started the process of, of bringing them in. And so it was, uh, yeah, it's, uh, my, my, my upbringing was definitely outside of the norm and the experiences that I had without diving into a lot of uh, detail is very different than, than, a, than a lot of people. And it's given me a pretty vast scope of what experiences in life that a lot of people wouldn't have. Because then I went from there to working up, you know, getting out of school and advancing my career. And at that point, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was working for other companies. And I advanced to this executive level where I was brought in and, you know, I do turnarounds for companies. I would, you know, get a company fixed and prep for sale. Uh, I did this work for 15, almost 20 years before I moved into kind of doing it on my own. And again, that's just like a, a, just a vast different experience seeing these extremes of, you know, working at that level, developing that level in the corporate world versus this upbringing that I had where, you know, to, to bathe myself, you know, you'd go down to the stream and fill up a gallon jug of water and set it out in the sun on a rock. And at the end of the day, you could dump it over your head and you're catching grasshoppers to feed them on a hook so that you could go fishing during the day in the, in the stream, catching brook trout and, you know, find a few mushrooms that, you know, cause you're very skilled in knowing what's good and what's not to, to be, that's like the preparation for, for the evening meal. Right. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's where a lot of my, my viewpoints around the things that end up really forming my approach to what I do from an entrepreneur's perspective. And you're like, how is that case? How, how does that connect? Right. What I learned was not only this piece that you discussed on the opening, that you are not defined by the things, the external things that happen to you. I'm the person that's this way because I have alcoholic parents. I'm the person that's this, I'm the person with a bad back and I'm going to be this way. The, all these things that you don't have control over. The definition of yourself and who you are, sure, it's impacted 
by the adversity and the challenges that you have, but it is defined 100% by your actions and your responses to your environment. But sometimes like too much trauma, too much stuff at, at one point can be a little overwhelming and it can take us down and that's, that's okay. We can understand and have those experiences. But this is also an important thing that ties to uh, the strength aspect that you talked about. There's a Guinness World Record right there behind me, uh, a few of the sports teams I work with. And it's all around, that's all around this development of physical resilience. And, but it goes beyond that. It's this development of mental and emotional resilience. And this is how you get to be a better businessman, how you get to be a better leader, how you get to be a better parent how you get to be a better partner, right? The things that I do now with managing multiple businesses, the stress that comes with that, all the other things that happen in life, I wouldn't be able to do this 20 years ago, right? It's just like a workout. If you go in and just absolutely crush yourself beyond belief, you're not going to be able to move if you haven't done it before. Like I, you just walked into the gym and you, know, you got rhabdo and now you can't lift. You're in the hospital, right? That's too much. But if you've done a little bit, and you challenged yourself to the point you, you know, you reached up, you know, to the, to that level of like, you know, peering over the cliff of like, ah, oh, this is, this is close to the edge of my capabilities, but I didn't go past it. That next workout, you can handle a little bit more mentally. You're like, I get that last one. I could take that a step further next time. And that's, that's life. And that's how we build this resilience and how we build our ability to perform so much better at this higher level. Because you can't just walk out there and do it. Now, everybody has a different baseline. So you can say, oh, XX person went and just jumped in and did this. Well, to overcome the trauma that I had as a child, I had a, a, probably a little higher baseline to handle stress than other people. But I didn't have the level to handle what I do now. Right. So to get there, it's always this pushing yourself and challenging yourself and feeling that fear, feeling that, uh, you know, I'm on the edge, like that's okay to be, you need that. You actually need that. If you don't, it's like, here's a great example. I use workout stuff quite a bit for this, but like, if you, if, if you go to the gym every week, a couple days, you're going to make progress, right? And if you take the weekend off, you're going to cover, maybe you go on vacation for a week, you come back, you still got it. Now, if you go to the Bahamas, and you stay there for a week and you go, that's nice. And then you stay on the drink beach drinking Mai Tais for the next six months. You come back, you're going to be soft. You're going to be soft of body. You're going to be soft of mind and you're going to be soft of soul. And so that is going to be, you're going to have trouble stepping back into the challenging work environment where the week off might've been enough for your recovery to feel refreshed and ready to, to reinvigorate because you've got to recover. It's very different from I, the hustle porn that people promote out there, which is just like, just go burn the candle at both ends, how hard you work. Like that doesn't work. That's the piece where I talked about it. It's like, you don't, you, you can't layer. It's all about layering it. Just one step to the next step and then recover a little bit. And then you can add. And over time, that's how you build to a level where you can do phenomenal things. It's absolutely amazing because I'm hard pressed at the adversity that you had had I'm just so hard pressed to thinking anyone who's had more adversity and more trouble. And it's absolutely amazing, I think, which is a, a, 
it's just not even the right word. It's extraordinary that you wound up to do what you're doing and you're successful at it. And I have so many questions about it. But what I get, what I want to make sure, and it's like chasing rattlesnakes and getting rattlesnakes is like, it's just, it's mind boggling. I've seen a live diamond back outside our home once and it was like, that's a pretty big sucker. It's like, you've got some cojones, uh, but you're trained for that. And I think that that training, that wilderness training may have set you up, but I'm just really so surprised. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. They say the key to happiness is to live each day like it's your last. And by that logic, today's an amazing day to get your life insurance with Ethos. With Ethos, you could get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. Unlike other companies' long, confusing, and outdated application processes, Ethos' 100% online application takes only minutes, so you can get back to living. And Ethos has no medical exams, just a few easy health questions, and competitive rates from top-rated carriers. Ethos is affordable and convenient. You know this, life and events are unpredictable. It's always good to have insurance and never need it. And if you have insurance, then you never have to worry. We know that all too well. So join the thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos who have given the company a 4.8 star rating on Google Reviews. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash Tony, spelled E-T-H-O-S, life.com slash Tony. Go to ethoslife.com slash Tony to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies, Inc. operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services, not available in all states and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. And again, that's E-T-H-O-S-L-I-F-E dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Do this today and live worry-free with peace of mind. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Entrepreneurial Spirit with Chris Duffin. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDurso.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Chris. One thing I've got to make sure I, I find out about is you made a business out of weightlifting, out of strength, strength training. How did that vision evolve to actually turn it into business? Yeah. Well, let's take a step back to the rattlesnake again. Like, so imagine you're sitting there, six years old, you've got a rattlesnake, you're, you're holding it. You've got its head, you know, each side of it by its mouth, pinned between your, your, your thumb and your forefinger, and it's, it's wrapping around your body. And guess what? You're afraid. There's no way you're not afraid, right? But the lesson there is if you succumb to the fear, you're going to die, right? 
you're going to freak out and do something, it's going to strike and kill you. But if you also don't respect the fear and give it the respect that it deserves, and you're careless and overconfident, you will die as well. Right. So those are, I just want to, since you brought that up, I'm like, there's everything about there, there, there's lessons along the way that teach you that. And so what I learned over the course of my career is really understanding the things that bring me value and that I have passion for. And that really is understanding like, what is entrepreneurship and what should it be? To me, entrepreneurship isn't an avenue to big riches. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But what entrepreneurship is, is the ultimate expression of art in the world that we have today. So by that, I mean, it's, it's our ability to actually take our values that we have and the perception of what the future is going to be in the mix of both the values and your vision for the future and bring that into reality today and express that with what you're doing and share that in the world. And that, that my friend, that's, that's art. And, and so if we take a step back from that, it's like, that, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Like that is so much more rewarding. And so really the, the piece here is to really understand like, what is it? It's not looking for a job that can make you a bunch of money, but it's a way of how do I express my values and change the world in the way that I want, right? How do I also, you know, get the greatest value of living life, which is to experience that through the connections with others, right? So how do I, as I'm doing this, bring those people and those connections into my life? And so I learned in my corporate work, the things, some of those values, which is for me, I really love motivating people, having an impact to have them be able to go out and accomplish more than that they thought was possible themselves, right? So this aspect of, of, of leadership, connection, motivation is a huge value of mine. Uh, continual learning. You know, I definitely was always exploring this. But the things that I really missed was the ability to have creative expression. So I had different hobbies where I was designing and making things. And, and it was just like a big gap for me. And I also knew over time that I could have a, a much bigger impact on this world. And so what do I want to share? And I want to share the messages and things that I'm talking about here. And I was starting, so I was starting to do this. You know, I was running corporations, but I owned a gym on the side and I was doing, because of one of my values, I was doing a lot of uh, continual uh, learning. I was taking courses in the, the clinical world, clinical continuing ed, even though my degrees are engineering, so that I could become a better athlete, a better coach with the the people that I interacted with. And I started connecting the dots because I, I ended up building a relationship with a lot of the key thinkers out there, the ones that are writing the curriculums that is being used in the books that are, that are used uh, in the curriculum for physical therapy, chiropractic schools, you know, like the lead uh, spine biomechanist in the world, um, arguably one of the best uh, uh, physical therapists in the world. One of the people that brought the, a key proponent of developmental kinesiology to the U.S. A um, bunch of these people, and I started connecting the dots with that and what I was doing in the training. And for a long time, so much was done wrong in the training world, where it was again 
kind of like the, the hustle porn in the business world, like just work through the pain, just, just crush it. You, you know, you show how tough you are, just get to the, you know, and that was, and I was leaving a lot of people broken. And I was like, man, if we do this right, we come up better, more resilient to be able to handle the stresses, the unknown things that aren't going to come our, that we don't know are coming our way. And so I started producing content just because I cared so much about this and putting it online. And so I was doing this, writing articles, doing videos, and I was starting to get feedback from around the world. Like, oh my God, you've changed my life. Sounds overreaching, but you know, if you've been in back pain, you know, like how impactful that can, that, that can destroy your life at the time. And you feel like you're going nowhere. And so you take somebody that really enjoys a physical component of their life, take that away. And then they're suffering in all these other areas. And with some, some words and some videos, you can return that. That's, I knew at that point, I'm like, this is my calling. This is where I'm meant to be. And so with this mindset of around how to move properly, it's both uh, components of, uh, you know, basic physiology, but also understanding the impact on neurology. There, so it was a lot of mixture of different pieces coming together. I started also creating equipment that facilitates that, that takes what we've been doing in the strength training world, instead of shoving everybody through this, you know, lesson that we learned in preschool, right? The round hole goes in the, the round peg goes in the round hole, the square hole goes in, square peg goes in the square hole. You know, we were shoving it. Everybody fits this. Everybody needs to move this way. Everybody fits this one piece of equipment. And that was like, let's respect the individuality. Let's understand the basic principles of development here. And so I started de designing equipment and it was, it was like, there was a point I'm like, this is what I'm meant to do. And it was a hard call because I was at a point in my life that I was really well paid. I was sought after for what I did. And I walked away from that for the unknown. I walked away from that. We're talking about the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. And you can find out more about him and get his book at chrisduffin.com. And this Chris is the C-H-R-I-S Chris. Duffin is D-U-F-F-I-N. chrisduffin.com. Chris, this is just absolutely amazing. And I'm thinking, and you've just touched upon that is like, you have so much going and you also have had so much adversity. I'm really curious at this point, what motivated and inspired you to keep going? Perhaps you have a very strong purpose to do this. I want to open this up. Why did you just keep going? What, what made you keep going? Yeah. So the purpose was definitely there and I'd been feeling it for quite some time. But it was the fear. It was the twisting in the gut. It was the signal to me that that's where I should turn. Because again, we take a step back and we understand how do we keep growing and moving forward? How do we handle the difficult things that come at it in, us in life? It might be a, a discussion with a business partner that you want to avoid, with your life partner, with a family member. It could be going back to school. It could be starting your own business. It could be all these sorts of things. And so when you get this mixture of fear and excitement twisting together in your gut, this is the signal that it's a learning opportunity. It's the thing that you should chase to advance yourself. And we have like biological urges that drive us on this early in life as you're getting into a teen and you're getting, you know, that, okay, I've got the comfort of the family, but it's time to like get out on my own. And like, 
you know, it's fear, but you have these things that drive you there. And then it's the same thing with pursuing a, a relationship, right? Same mixture of like, oh man, there's a hot number over there, man. I, I don't, I, I should talk, but you're, you got this, but then you've got this biological thing that drives us there. And the same thing with moving on and creating a family. They'll be like, I'm a hundred percent ready. No, it's a mixture of fear and excitement. But then what happens? Then you're in your thirties. And then what do you see? So many people literally do nothing with their life from then on. It becomes stagnant because they lose these biological urges that are driving that. And they end up just repeating, you know, sitting, sitting there working a job that they don't really care for, but it's comfortable. <laughs> Gets by and then they're not fully engaged with their kids and their family. And then, you know, the weekends it's, Got to get out and play some golf or drink some beers, you know, and, and just next thing you know, you turn around and you're retiring. You're in a retirement community. And then next you're like, wow, I've got all these regrets and I'm at the end of my life. And I'm like, I wish I'd done so much more. Okay. So the lesson here is to, to feel those moments in those micro moments. Because those are your opportunities. Those are your workouts. Those are the times that you get to go. There's something I'm going to, and I can't guarantee like, ah, Duffin said I should go start a new business and it didn't work out and I failed. He's wrong. Well, not every one of these is going to work out the way that you want, but it's the right decision. If that's the feeling, because it's the, it's the thing that's going to advance you and make you ready for the next one. And then the next one, and then the thing you don't anticipate that comes out of nowhere on a random Tuesday and sideswipes you and you're not ready for it. You don't have the resilience to handle it and you shut down the business opportunity that comes at you and you're not ready. All those sorts of things. And so, you know, some people kind of have this ingrained in their nature and a lot of those are entrepreneurs, but we still get habits of comfort. You know, you get to the end of the day and it's like, God, I should, I should hit the gym, but you know man, drinks at the pub sounds a little better. And then all of a sudden that becomes a, a, a way of life. And I'm not saying not to do that. You need to take time for having the relationships. And it's a matter of like, what's the understanding those purpose? So, so anyway. It's the purpose that drives you. I mean, it's why, it's why you get up every day. Exactly. So there's a few different things there. But for me, I... You know, I knew the corn, you know, those big drivers for me in life. What are my values and how can I create that around me and then have that draw the people to me that, that I also want to have in my life, right? This is the Tony D'Urso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. With you wherever Alexa and Google are at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. 
All right, we're back on the Tony D'Arso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Entrepreneurial Spirit with Chris Duffin. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDurso.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Chris. And sometimes those values can be counter to each other too. Like for me, there's definitely some. Like obviously, uh, a, a, you know, a sense of challenge is is something that's really important. Like I always want to explore that. I, I'll be honest. Like you know, ego aside, like yeah, I like recognition too. You know, that is a value for me to be recognized for the things that I have accomplished. Continual learning, like I talked about the you know, the, whatever we call it, leadership motivation doesn't have to have one word, right? But this, these are feelings. These are things that you can never actually have. Sense of family is massive for me, right? And I I use the word sense of family very explicitly because you can have family and not have family, right? Or you can not have a, you know, blood relations of family and have family too. So sense of family, community, what have you. But talking about the, the things that work against each other, like for me, like security, like I do want to make sure that my, that there is a level of security for myself and my family, knowing what I've been through in my past. And does that work very counter to like a uh, challenge and accomplishment? Uh, heck yeah. Right. But understanding them is so critically important. So if you focus on things like, and then again, I'll get back to the hustle. The hustle, uh, the, the hustlepreneur stuff, like they're always like, go get the things that you want, you know, earn your jet and your car and like, you know, screw the haters and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And if you focus on it, those are things like if I focus on a specific career, I want to be an NFL player. I want to be a doctor. I want to. Well, what happens if you want to be a surgeon and you destroy your hand? Well, same thing <laughs> if you want to be a, you know, an NFL player, right? That, those things can be taken from you. But why did you want those things? Why did you want the mansion or the, the car if that's what you connected to? Well, if you don't understand that the reason that you actually wanted those is because of security like me, you could put yourself in a situation where you over leverage yourself to get those things. And now you have those things, but you've actually done the opposite of what your value is and you're hating life you're depressed you've got all sorts of issues you go well, why why I, I i've got everything that i wanted in life and, and 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 it sucks what's happening well and same thing like maybe i want to be an nfl player why do you want to be an nfl player the recognition, maybe the challenge, maybe the like whatever take set the ego aside and ask yourself and start peeling back the layers and ask yourself again, like the five why process is what I really encourage people on this. You know, spend a few months really like get to the next level and then ask why again till you get to these things that are no longer things. Because now it's like, oh, if I don't have that, there's like 200 opportunities of other areas that I could chase that would give me the ability to express those same values. Chris, one of the things that caught my attention because we, we started off talking a little bit about vision. We're talking about your talents. You're well known for being strong. You teach people how to be strong. You're all about strength, kabuki strength. 
and yet your title is Chief Visionary Officer, not CEO. And I think that's so amazing because you're all about getting people, as you're just saying, to go for that vision. And that seems to be the motivation, that inspiration, that drive to get what they want. Yeah. And it's not uh, a change in title. Actually, I I did this and wrote an article. I think it's in Forbes uh, on uh, the chief visionary role and uh, the the entrepreneurship as a level of art uh, piece. But um, gosh darn it, I can't. There's a there's a really famous uh, Simon Sinek. So now I see he's got this thing of like you should have a chief visionary instead of a CEO. And I'm like, you're missing it. You're missing it entirely. It's a yin and yang, right? And you see this with many very successful business startups and through the early phases, first few decades, it's oftentimes a partnership and you've got more of your chaos element, your, you could call it feminine energy, your creativity, and then you've got your structure and your operations and your discipline, right? And and, and it's a yin and a yang and to be really elicit that. And so I used to be the yang. That's what I did for companies. But to really switch and allow myself to really to have that creative side and that expression, I let myself shift into that. So I have a CEO as my partner, right? And in the future, when he retires, maybe it's the CEO working under me as I continue in the chief visionary role. There's a lot of different ways, but I need to have that balance because if I try to be this one thing, but also encompass that other role, you're, you're working against yourself to some level. Some people can do that successfully, but I think a far less. Uh, so if you're the one raising your hand going, no, that's me, you know, ask yourself that question, you know, or would you be better served if you allowed that? And again, you know, it could be CVO and a COO, you know, operations, or again, a paired partnership role. But once we get to a point, and this is key to entrepreneurship, because entrepreneurship requires the ability to be able to think differently, to be able to pivot as the, the markets change, to be able to... So you see like these companies that did really great and they grew to macro levels. And then you, now you've got corporate CEO you know, over next CEO over next CEO. And then all of a sudden the market changes and all of a sudden they're gone. They're obsolete after being around for 50, 70, 100 years because they couldn't shift because everything was all about how well do we run the operational, the discipline, the, the structure, and they lost that element of it. So this is more critical because if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, you've already got that piece covered, but be thinking about the future because you know, as you're thinking about who's going to take over, again, a lot of people end up going with, well, this is because you've got this person that runs the company so good, you know? You've got somebody that moves up through the accounting side and they roll into CEO and, you know, and, and that can happen for a while, but things change, things hit us. We need to be prepared for adversity. And so having the yin and the yang, but what is that? Oh, it's the basic nuclear, like kind of family structure as well. You know, like there's, there's a lot of, and I'm using yin, like, cause it's, it's been around for a long time and they, they work in concert, these energy levels and these you know, this approach to life, having one or just one or the other. So if you've got a pure chaos only leader and no folks that like, 
Well, if you have that in your company, you probably know what the problems are. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you're, you're always, you're always pivoting and structuring and never able to really focus on this one area. Right. I like that, Chris. It's, it's the balance. You need both. You need drive and take care of the daily, the weekly, the monthly production, but you also need someone that says, this is where we need to go. And that gets lost. I've been a CEO. I've run a company. I've worked in corporate. Yeah, it gets lost. It totally gets lost. So you've got to, you've got to keep on that vision. And that's really important for us entrepreneurs to remember. And with that, and you mentioned just a little bit, I'm wondering how you've used that to handle like some huge challenges. So let me ask you this. I don't think we've talked about it yet. What was the biggest challenge you've ever run into and how did you take care of it? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) You know, I have an interesting story to tell you. I I was preparing to have the biggest, like in the strength world, like performance total that had ever been done. And I'd been training for this for like eight years and then four years, very specifically where it was like right there. And uh, it was getting to the edge. I was getting pressures from the family as well to, uh, to retire. And I'm like, okay, finally, there's the one last one. I promise this is it. Nine months from now, we scheduled a meet, had the, you know, had, you know, we're planning to have the, uh, all the judges and everything. I mean, this is planned almost a year out just so that it would fit my schedule so I could show up and do my thing, right? And one of my good friends, he was, you know, he was working in the same office. He had another business. Uh, He's also a pretty big author. Uh, But anyway, he was there, you know, with me the whole time. We get to the day of the meet and some things went wrong and it didn't happen. And basically, I bombed out of the meet. Like, I didn't even get a total. And my friend, he tells me, he's like, afterwards, he's like, I, it was a happen. He's like, I was about ready to throw up. My gut was like, I just like, and I was like, he's like, I didn't know how to approach you, like what to say, but I walked up to you. And you looked up at me. And you started telling me about all the, the things that, the exciting things that you're working on next, what you're going for. And, uh, and so it's good to reflect on, you know, the past and the failures and what we can learn from that. And I know I didn't answer your question, but there's an important lesson here too, is that a lot of people that are really successful also have the ability to shift their focus to learn, but not let that eat up their psyche and their energy for the next steps. Do you know what the next steps were? My next steps was to no longer compete in the sport of powerlifting and chase these all-time records, but to focus on what I, the primary thing. So if I have a global look at the body, uh, the highest level of priority is the ability to control and manage spinal mechanics, right? And to, de- to demonstrate that, there's two basic fundamental movements. The squat pattern. Every able-bodied person at nine months of age has these patterns ingrained that get by nine months, they're able to finally move from a crawl to a, to a squat, to standing, uh, to a standing position. And it's integral to our, our neurology and our developmental patterns. And the other one is the deadlift, the ability to pick up something off the ground. I'm like, I'm going to do something that no one's ever done before. 
There's like five or six people that have squatted a thousand pounds and five or six people that have deadlifted a thousand pounds. No one's ever even come close to doing both because you're kind of like, you got long arms, you got a short femur link, you're, you're kind of biased, right? And I'm like, I'm not biased for either one of those, but I'm going to do a thousand pounds on each one of those lifts. And not only that, to make sure there's no question, I'm going to do them for reps. And it took me five years. The documentary movie is about to come out next month, um, the final part of it, uh, which is the 1,000-pound squat. I did a 1,001-pound squat for three repetitions. The first rep of my deadlift, because it was a sumo-style deadlift, which is different than a conventional, it doesn't really matter, but nobody had actually ever done a sumo deadlift. But I actually did it for three reps. They only count one for the Guinness World Record. Uh, they don't have the repetition thing there. But it's an unduplicated feat of strength. Uh, that demonstrates the methodology that I teach and the practice of like somebody like me. I've had back pain, back problems so bad in my past history before I learned the stuff I do that I had to learn to walk again. Like I was in a hospital. I had drop foot for six months. I was in a walker to, to advance the walking position. And I came back to squat and deadlift a thousand pounds for reps with no back pain. This is the Tony D'Urso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Entrepreneurial Spirit with Chris Duffin. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, Dot com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Chris. A little bit of a <laughs> little, little tangent, but I, I, I think that this is more valuable uh, uh, lesson here. Oh, I absolutely love it. I love it. Learn from those things and use those for adversity, but take your energy and focus it on things that you can accomplish. I think one of the key things that you touched upon that I want to accentuate is getting something done and just getting it done, and then telling the world. This is one of my models that I do a lot. I don't want naysayers and people to say anything. I just do it, and then I tell about it. Because then you could say, hey, I did this, and it's just, and then you, you get nobody blocking you at all, and it's such a and you will, way. And you will. You'll have so much negativity, even in people that you think are close. So it's only very, very small people that, if you have some grandiose plans, you keep them close. You don't need to tell people. And this is actually a frustration of mine, especially in the public 
like, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just wait. You're going to see. And, and, and then it's become a culture. And I don't like, I didn't even, so when I talked about, I wanted to set that goal for the, you know, for the powerlifting, I didn't even tell people at the time for years when I was going to a meet, because then I get questions about, well, what's your, what records are you going to go after? What numbers are you going to get? And I'm like, it's, it's not for you. That's for me. So all of a sudden I just show up and do it. Right. Oh, I love it. And then the, the grand goals, I, you know, I had to say something so people would say, but I just said, I'm going to squat a, da- a thousand pounds. I didn't tell them I was going to do it for reps. I didn't tell them that, I, or sorry, I was going to deadlift a thousand pounds. I didn't tell them I was going to do it for reps until the day of, because beforehand my people are finally like, you're way too strong. You're going to be doing more than a thousand. What are you actually going for? And then I did it for reps. And then the same thing with the squat, you know, a few years finally rolled by and I'm like, okay, I'm going to chase a thousand pound squat as well. And then, you know, as it got closer and it became evident when I was actually squatting over a thousand pounds in training (laughs) that uh, I'm like, okay, we're going for reps too with that. But you keep like, because you're going to have so much negative energy and you're fighting that and the focus and the other stuff, like who is it for? Exactly. Is it to feed your ego and have people go, oh, that's amazing, because you're not going to get that back necessarily. Um, It's a side topic, but you hit on something that I I feel very, uh, I I feel is a very important thing that that I've, I've thought about many times. Absolutely. Nobody can argue with you when you say it's done. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Now, almost against what I just said, I'm just curious because the thought came in my head. You're not chasing for the records anymore. You're teaching other people on strength. You've developed a lot of amazing equipment. I am not a, a weight trainer. By the way, I know you're going to laugh, and I'm not. This is official. I am not going to ask you. I'm not. How many push-ups you can do? I'm just going to tell you. My record for me is 60, and I'm happy with that. We're not going to go there. <laughs> That's solid, man. And the, the point there is that you have an aspect of physical culture in your life. I've got another process for, for if we dive into that further, but balance through the extremes is a very interesting approach. And I've never heard another business person really speak in that manner about this, this concept uh, should be in my, actually it's a piece of my next book, by the way. So it's, that's very deep. We're going to have to bring you back for your next book. Uh, we've pretty much hit the end of time here. Once again, we talked about the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. You can find him at chrisduffin.com. Chris, Absolutely amazing. I want to keep going. We should do a series. This is just, there's so much to talk about. I just want to thank you so much for sharing with us and our entrepreneurs and businessmen in the audience. It was really great. I loved it. Anybody that goes to chrisduffin.com, there's a link to get the free audible download of my book or the first part of my book for free. uh, And then links to uh, my websites. uh, If you have any interest to explore the physical culture um, and things that support that uh, as well. And here's an insider's brief about a PETA investigation that recently led to the rescue of 4,000 beagles bred for experiments. The point of this brief is to raise awareness and to learn how you can help dogs like them. I'm an animal lover, and this is very important to me. With us is Daniel Payton, PETA Vice President, to tell us more about it. Hi, Daniel, and welcome to the show. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. It, again, uh, it's an honor to ha- and a pleasure to have you and to get some information on this. I think while we are all entrepreneurs and business owners at heart, having 
that love for other animals and helping other animals, I think, is important to the entrepreneur to help them reach out and be more in control. And, and it's just, it's, a, it's another way to give back. So I really like that. And I think everyone should, should do and follow and, and join in on something that gives back to the, to the, to the world. And so for here, we're talking about PETA, which is an acronym. What I'd like to do is have you tell us who PETA is and what do you do? Sure. Thank you. Um, PETA stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Uh, we are the world's largest animal rights organization. We've been around since 1980. Uh, we're blessed to have about 9 million members and supporters around the world. And we tackle and, and try to raise awareness among consumers, corporations, and government officials of uh, cruelty to animals and that. Uh, dogs in laboratories and their suppliers, but also animals who are raised for uh, their flesh, for their milk, for their eggs, their skin, uh, used for entertainment, uh, kept as pets, and, and so on and so forth. So my particular work involves um, collaborating with investigators who go in and work undercover at facilities that keep animals. And we try to expose any cruelty that might be illegal and then work with government agencies to try to stop that cruelty uh, and also, when possible, get the animals involved out of harm's way and ideally into um, home. I see. And you had a big investigation which made the press with Envigo breeding. And uh, can you tell us all about that and give and use that as a case in point of what PETA does? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, we we heard about this facility. It's a it's a beagle breeding facility in Central Virginia. Uh, we heard about it several years ago, uh, based on a USDA inspection report that had turned up some some pretty egregious violations of law. And so, one of our investigators was hired by the company and worked at that facility uh, for seven months, uh, ending last November, twenty twenty one. And she captured video of, uh, of workers abusing, uh, cruelly handling, uh, cruelly killing uh, countless dogs, uh, leaving puppies to suffer and die in cages and so forth. So we took that evidence to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which regulates that facility. And the USDA, to their credit, went and inspected the facility several times, issued dozens of citations. Uh, for violations of federal law, but unfortunately didn't remove any animals from, from their suffering um, and didn't make any effort to take enforcement action to really put some teeth behind the law. And thankfully, the U.S. Department of Justice, or DOJ, uh, took the initiative this May to step in, file a lawsuit, and ultimately, after uh, months of legal maneuvering, uh, the, the company is, has announced that they're going to close the facility and that approximately 4,000 of, of the beagles who were there at the, at the time in the summer uh, are being released in, in big waves for adoption across the U.S. So it's a, a great ending to a very long, difficult story, but a very happy ending for a lot of very deserving animals. It's incredible that PETA broke the story or however the nomenclature goes. And I just want to kind of get my understanding on it. If we see something 
as a consumer, that's really wrong in terms of harmful to animals, violation of animals. And obviously, I think if we contact the federal investigators or the DOJ, it doesn't have as much teeth as it would have for PETA to do so. So I kind of have a couple of questions all at once. But first is, is this, if we see something like this, that's not right, or we get wind of it, is PETA the place to go and talk and tell about it to start with? It can be, yeah. I mean, we always encourage people, if they're comfortable, to, to reach out to their local police department or their sheriff's office or their state police, because from, from, from those agencies' perspective, they, they ultimately want to talk to someone who's seen something firsthand. But oftentimes, you know, police obviously have their hands full. They've got a lot of crimes, unfortunately, to respond to, and they might drag their feet. And we always encourage people to call PETA, uh, to email us at any time if they're running into those types of problems. And we always do our best, uh, not only to protect people's anonymity and confidentiality, but also to kind of push police and push prosecutors where they need uh, to be pushed to do the right thing uh, to, to stop ongoing suffering and to hold people accountable as much as possible under the laws that exist, you know, these days. Daniel, what kind of time frame does it take generally on cases where you report something to the feds or DOJ? Do they drag their feet? Is it very responsive? Can you take me through perhaps an average case scenario on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. They are very responsive to their credit. They, they do take these reports quite seriously. Um, and, and typically, they do dispatch a team of inspectors and veterinarians to a facility within a matter of days or maybe a week or two, depending on how busy they are. So, you know, for the federal government, I, I think that's a pretty nimble response and speaks highly uh, to their commitment to, to protecting animals and, and to serving the American public who, who pays their salaries, of course, uh, to do those jobs. Where things get bogged down and slowed down is, is once the, the inspectors have actually documented the violations, then the enforcement process. And there we tend to see things that go on for years and years and years, um, where reports are written and cases are put together by people on the front lines. And then unfortunately, they just kind of sit on someone's desk or perhaps in someone's inbox these days, you know, in Washington and, and, and they don't move. And that's kind of what we saw with, with this case, you know, by, by October, 2021, really the feds had everything they needed to remove animals from this place and to suspend the company's license, which would in effect um, really give them the motivation to clean up their act because they couldn't keep doing business otherwise. Um, but nothing happened, you know, for seven months. And, and it wasn't until a few really driven, motivated prosecutors at the Department of Justice took it upon themselves to step in that, that there was hope for these animals and relief for these animals. And, and that's one thing that brings us a lot of hope at PETA is that there are those in government willing to be creative and willing to take initiative uh, and to do things that they're not obligated to do, um, but that they just care to do because they, they care about enforcing the law. And thankfully they care about, you know, animal welfare. I believe your 
your case here with Envigo that you've set new precedents, new protocols, new regulations or mandates may be coming. And hopefully that it sets and starts a, a, a new wave here for that. Are there other companies like Envigo? And are, I presume that they're aware of this because you've made some press on this. Um, I'm just wondering what the ripple effect or what this is going to do to the industry now. That's, that's a great question. And, and that's exactly right. Part of, part of why this case is so important in precedent setting is I think it, it, it will send the message to the other companies out there that engage in this business. And there are quite a few of them. There's a, an operation in upstate New York, for instance, that has 21,000 beagles on site at any given time. There's another one in Wisconsin that has around four to 5,000 beagles on site at any given time. And I think this case sends the message that no matter how large your company is, no matter what role you might play in the animal experimentation industry, you're not beyond the reach of law. And if you fail animals in very basic ways that violate federal law and you continue to do it over and over and over again, um, there will be consequences. And for all you know, federal officials may show up with a search warrant at some point and seize animals from you and take you before a federal judge where you'll have to answer for, you know, all those failures. So, um, there is a, a robust industry out there uh, breeding beagles and other dogs and all sorts of other animals for use in experiments and laboratories. Um, but this case really is, is a huge step forward for animal protection in the U.S. And I think it, it will send shockwaves, if it hasn't already, uh, across that industry and, and hopefully improve conditions for animals uh, at many other facilities besides just this one that's finally going to close down. Daniel, is there anything that you would like our listeners to do to help on? Thank you. There's one very simple thing, really. Uh, the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, is the federal agency that uh, funds and, and underwrites the vast majority of experiments on beagles and other animals in the United States. And of course, their budget is determined annually by Congress. And so when people hear about this story and they think, you know, how can I help ensure that more beagles don't endure these types of cruelties and suffer? Um, the easiest answer really is to reach out to your member of Congress and to just urge them, you know, to, to, to move more money towards non-animal testing methods. We have organs on ships. We have computer modeling now in 2022 and move that away, move that money away from, from archaic and, and outdated and obviously very cruel tests on beagles and other dogs and animals that, you know, were maybe more acceptable and prevalent and known back in the 50s and 60s. But, you know, now in this day and age, we don't need to do that to animals. And in fact, you know, the faster we move towards more progressive technology, I would say, you know, the faster we'll find answers that are actually going to help uh, human health and, and advance us as a, as a species. Daniel, thank you so much for briefing us and telling us about about this. I uh, I support it. I hope everyone jumps a little bit and does something about helping on this. And I I, I just want to raise the awareness that this is stuff that just should not happen. We can all do something, and that helps that helps our business because that's our mindset. 
We're entrepreneurs and business owners. So Daniel, I thank you once again for giving us this briefing. And again, congratulations on breaking breaking through and helping to set some precedents. This is great. I'm very, very glad to hear that Pete is doing this. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed the entrepreneurial spirit with Chris Duffin. He made a business out of weightlifting. He's for eight years, world record running. He's the strongest man in the world, deadlifted, sumo deadlifted, a thousand pounds. I am just so amazed at that. So I think if any of you don't work out, that's definitely going to inspire you and motivate you to do that but hopefully a lot, lot more. His purpose, his passion was amazing. He had obstacles. You think you had obstacles? How about just being homeless most of your young childhood and teenage life? I mean, that's amazing. And he became such a successful entrepreneur today. He spoke a lot in depth, in detail, from experience on mindset, on setting goals, talked about leadership, motivation, He talked about being the chief visionary officer at his company and not the CEO and how both are needed. We talked about balancing life and work and so many great points. I probably missed touching some of those points. So let me ask you, what did we discuss that resonated the most with you? Tell us your story. And please remember supporting this show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts, as well as comments on the video platforms or wherever you listen to your podcast. Give some comments, give a review, really helps. I appreciate that. And most important of all, share this with a few friends to help them too, all right? Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 